Life events and the people who come into them can put you on a path you may never have expected. Today, you'll meet a successful basketball player turned author who seems to be on the right path for a bright future. Let's meet him on an all-new episode of Up Next. Hey everyone, it's John Contratti and welcome to another episode of Up Next. My guest today is a former basketball star turned author. His debut novel, Moonflower, came out in 2018 and now he's back with a brand new book called Darling, You're Not Alone. Please welcome J.D. Slackert. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the uh, wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Where did you grow up? Let's start from the beginning. Yeah, sure. Well, I, uh, I've kind of grown up a lot of different places. It's always kind of actually an interesting question when people ask me that because uh, my parents separated when I was young and they still lived very close by to each other. But because of that, I kind of moved schools a lot and was all over Los Angeles. So when people ask me where I'm from, it kind of ranges from Malibu to Westlake Village to Thousand Oaks to Agora to Calabasas, that kind of circle. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's uh, given me a really unique perspective on life and it's introduced me to some incredible people that I'm still close with to this day. But yeah, I was a bit of a mover uh, when I was young. So was that difficult in elementary school? You know, I actually enjoyed it. I think more than anything, it was like I was always the new kid at school. Um, so I, I went to like a different elementary school and then a different middle school and then even a different high school. Um, but I always enjoyed getting to meet new people. Um, and sports was always sort of the thing that carried me through into each new environment. Like, you know, being a basketball kid my whole life, that's what quickly sort of, uh, you know, introduced me to my new friends and kind of got me assimilated, uh, pretty, pretty easily. But yeah, sports was the thing I held on to. When I see someone has turned into an author, I go back to my teaching. I taught for 31 years. I taught elementary school. And I always saw either the child was more just into phys ed or once in a while you get lucky. Uh, they were into phys ed and they also liked the academics. Did you like to write when you were younger? Not at all. Um, <laughs> and that's something I actually uh, I, I try to be as open about and, and speak about to, to kids and even elementary school and middle school and high school when I do that as well, because I think it is really important to share is I was sort of this class clown, loud, uh, had a big personality kid, you know, all like sort of had that that stereotypical redhead energy. Um, but yeah, I just never really took school seriously. Basketball was the thing that I was putting all my energy and focus into. Um but I just sort of did enough to get by so I could continue to play as long as I could. And what started to begin to happen was two things. Number one, I loved reading. Uh, I was obsessed with reading and I had this sort of odd um, affinity for books in general. And kind of in the later parts of my career, basketball wise, I noticed it was because we'd spend so much time traveling on the road um, you know, going to games and all over the United States. And uh, I would always be reading on the planes and the buses and in the hotel rooms. And it was kind of like my little meditation and my thing away from the sort of macho bravado of Division One sports. Uh, so books became my kind of like 
escape from that. But I also loved uh, writing letters. And that kind of just became this thing that I did. Um, and I, at the time, both of these things, to be completely honest with you, I didn't really think were odd. But yeah, I was writing handwritten letters to friends with a, with a pretty you know, interesting regularity, like probably at least two or three a week. And I'd be putting them in the mail and shipping them out. And I'd have friends who would get like three or four letters from me before they could respond to one. And they said, you know, why do you, why don't you just call me? Like, why are you writing all these letters? And uh, eventually I kind of put two and two together and was like, wow, I really would love to write a book. And then, you know, here we are four years later. So you would have been one of those kids in elementary school whose parents I would look for at the end of the day to say, I need oh, yeah. to talk to you about something. Oh, for sure. I had a lot of those meetings, a lot of those unfortunate, uh, you know, conversations with my parents for sure. But you're the one that we all remember. That's that's a good part of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it. I, uh, I, I certainly did my best to try and make as many teachers laugh while I was pulling my shenanigans. But I think there were some that probably didn't think a lot of my jokes were very funny. So you played um, basketball at Oak Park High School, Southern California. Yeah. So, I mean, my high school career is a bit interesting. I went to Oak Park High School for four years, which is a public local school. Um, and then, I mean, had amazing teachers and faculty there that I'm still very close with to this day. I was actually just speaking there about two weeks ago. They have me back every year to talk to all the schools in the district. Um, but I also did what's called a postgraduate year at Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire. Um, and that was for basketball recruiting to give me an extra year of kind of maturation prior to going to college. So I really did five years of high school. Um, but yeah, so I went to two different high schools, one in Southern California and one in New Hampshire. After high school, you scouted around different places you wanted to go or did you get a scholarship? Someone, rec you know, saw you? Yeah. So, I mean, when I, I was in high school, I was getting recruited by a couple D1 schools, but it was mostly Division threes, uh, NAIs and kind of smaller Division twos. And the, the main Division one was the Air Force Academy. Um, I went on a visit there and, you know, I'd been talking to their staff for a long time and they really liked me. Uh, and I also was getting recruited by Portland and I was kind of like bouncing back and forth between which one I was going to consider. Uh, but ultimately I think my parents sort of spoke some real words of wisdom and said, Hey, like, I think we should rethink your recruitment and maybe go back a year and open this thing back up because I don't really think the Air Force Academy is what you have in mind for your typical college career. Um, so I went back east to Phillips Exeter and I did what it's calling reclassed. So I went from the class of 2013 to 2014 and that sort of increased all the schools. It gave me more visibility um, to a lot of Ivy League schools. Like then I started to get recruited by kind of, let's see, like Cornell, Dartmouth, um, Elon, some schools in that Atlantic 10 conference. Um, but then it ultimately became UC Santa Barbara that uh, was the school that I was sort of on there. I was on them before they were on me. Um, and I think just leaving home too sort of showed me a lot about how much I enjoyed Southern California and wanted to play my college career there. Um, so when that opportunity came about, uh, it did not take me long to decide to go back to the beach and uh, 
come back home to play basketball. So yeah, it was pretty exciting day to have to say the least. So, so your star starts rising. Are you amazed the attention you're getting? And yeah, I mean, it was, um, it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I, I, I gotta be honest, John, I, when I got to UCSB, I was sort of very much that guy that just was lucky to be the last guy on the team. Like I was so thrilled at the, just the chance to represent UC Santa Barbara and be a gaucho and be a division one basketball player. Um, that everything that came after that, I really felt like was just the icing on the cake. Um, and I think in a way that probably that, that mindset, I think led to even more notoriety and people getting to know me and then more opportunity sports wise, because I just kind of had this, like, you know, this attitude, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, whatever happens is, is everything beyond this is going to be awesome. So I, and I think, uh, I just had some really incredible teammates too. I mean, the coaches believed in me. My teammates were there for me. And um, I think that kind of wild redhead personality started to win over some fans too. And then all of a sudden I had, you know, faces of, of me in the stands. And um, yeah, I had some pretty, pretty fun and wild stories with that. But yeah, it was, a, it was obviously just like a dream come true the whole time. You're playing basketball and the story that leads up to your 2018 book, Moonflower, how many years before that, before the book, did this person approach you, which led you to the story? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really incredible story, John. I uh, he so the the boy's name was Luke Bodden, and he actually approached me when I was at Oak Park in high school, and he used to go to all my games in Oak Park, the town I sort of was raised in and went to high school in, and um. He used to come to all my games there before he had to go into the hospital for sickle cell disease for a bone marrow transplant. And um, sort of, you know, in the timeline of my story, which we've covered briefly, that time I went to New Hampshire and was gone. Just that sort of year long hiatus I had from California was actually when he was in the hospital for his bone marrow transplant. So just sort of, I mean, call it divine intervention but the minute i arrived back in california and was playing at uc santa barbara which is only about a two-hour drive from my hometown uh he was out of the hospital so then he started going to all my games at ucsb so he went from my high school games then to my college games uh and that was where we kind of elevated our bond and our friendship um until he tragically passed away at the age of 10 um during my sophomore year and that was I mean truly I can't say enough like the turning point of my life um, where I really decided to take things much more seriously than I had been not just in sports but then I began writing my new my first book a moonflower um, and I wrote it during my final two years as an athlete at UCSB and uh, was ultimately published on the two-year anniversary of his passing on September 14 2018 um, so yeah, he had a profound effect on my life, and um, but that was something that carried on to my career as an athlete as well. So, in the beginning, you thought it was just another kid who admired a basketball player. Yeah, I mean, I as I've done a hopefully a decent enough job to illustrate, I was a bit of a knucklehead when I was younger, um, and I met Luke when I was seventeen years old, and he was six, and his sister came up to me and she said, Hey, 
you know, my little brother's your biggest fan and he really wants to meet you and play basketball with you. And I was sort of like, sure, you know, I'm a pretty big deal. Like I'll get around to it when I can. And she said, no, it has to happen next week. And I said, why? And she said, well, my little brother is six years old and he has sickle cell disease. And the last thing that he wants to do before he has to go into the hospital for a full year of isolation for a bone marrow transplant is meet you and play basketball with you. And I think even then, to be completely honest, I was sort of just shocked at this uh, kind of just pure, I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't believe somebody saw that in me at that age. Um, so I hung out with him and played basketball with him, and I sort of felt like I'd done my deed and, you know, hopefully made a, made a sick kid smile and could sort of move on. But something about when I committed, to Santa Barbara, I just thought of him again. And I actually went and visited him in the hospital before he was released. And while I was going to see him, and he was staying at Children's Hospital Los Angeles at this time, um, I actually got to his room before he could see me. And I saw that above his bed, there was a photo of me and him the day we met uh, hanging over his hospital bed. And that John was like, actually the moment when I really just was shocked into, you know, Hey, this is not just some chance encounter. This is a really special bond. And I sort of made it my vow to him and his family. Like, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to be here for him and, you know, check in on him. We, we celebrated birthdays together. And um, yeah, it was like a really amazing sort of, you know, you just have no idea how special something is when you're in the moment. And then all of a sudden it becomes this like massive movement. So yeah, that was kind of how it began. Did I read correctly? You handwrote your first draft of the book? That is correct. Yes, I did handwrite the entire first draft. I actually do that. I don't know if you do that as well, but I do that with every single book I write. Um, I think there's typing, which is on a laptop and I think there's writing, which is handwriting. And mm -hmm. um, I'm sort of a proponent of that. I think it's something that doesn't really please everyone I work with, um, but it's something I've carried through now into several projects and people have sort of gotten in line and said, all right, that is your process. So we got to just get used to it. So the first book comes out, very exciting. I know it's always a great excitement yeah, right. when, <laughs> when the book is released and and it's out there in the bookstores and on there on the shelves. It's it's a great feeling. Here we are, 2022, and you back with another book, Darling, You're Not Alone. Can you tell us something uh, about it? Yeah, Darling, You're Not Alone is, uh, it was, a, I mean, it was an incredible story to write. I uh, just had several different elements and ideas that came into mind uh, while I was sort of formulating this story. But I, th I think the thing I can kind of say about it is it's really a book that I would hope and, and is sort of the goal. I, the reason I wrote it is to illustrate this concept that I think is so important today is that with all of the bad and horrible and I mean, really, like sometimes just unfathomable things that happen in our world that sort of do get broadcasted to us uh, with such a regularity, like with the news and our phones and Twitter and everything is just sort of constant um, that there's this equal amount of good that goes on that balances it out. 
in a way that I think, unfortunately, isn't broadcasted with the same frequency and uh, regularity that the bad is. And this book was sort of my my idea of taking what is a terrible event that is a high school school shooting and sort of giving it this this other side to say, hey, like this is this is this is the opportunity that comes from like a really tragic event and how we can also come together. We can also do better as we move forward as a you know human population. And um, the book was very inspiring just to me too, because I felt like almost sometimes I write books to inspire myself too. And like, I think during COVID, which is when I wrote most of this novel, um, it, I was getting really, not necessarily like upset, but just sort of, it was hard to listen to people that were just getting so down and so uh, stopped believing in each other that I felt like this book was my explanation to say, hey, like we still need to keep believing in each other. And it's a young adult book. Main character, 15-year-old boy, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix is, uh, I, I love that kid, man. I, I, uh, I think it was an interesting change for me because with my first book, there was so much um, that the, I, I had in common with the characters that I created. But really, Phoenix is someone I don't have anything in common with. Um, he is someone that's much more reserved and, you know, is, has serious bouts of social anxiety and depression. Um, but he has this sort of wit and, uh, and undying um, hope that there's a, there's something more out there in this world that he's so, he's, he's so upset with. Um, so he's a fighter and I really love him for that. Um, but he also has this kind of really good memory that I think gets him into some trouble as well. So I, I really enjoyed creating that character and getting to kind of spend so much time with him. But um, the book is unique in that you meet Phoenix actually when he's 10 years old. Um, and that's when the story begins. And then as it moves through time, you meet him again when he's 15. And then actually the book ends when he's 16. So it covers a pretty good span of time. Um, so I think I liked it in that way that you get to, you do get to know him a little bit better than you typically would had you just meet a character when they're 15 years old. So before you were talking about writing thank you letters to people. So there's something that's called what, JD's five ways to write a thank you letter. <laughs> want, to, want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Well, so the letter writing campaign surrounding darling, you're not alone is, uh, is a kind of an integral part to me and what, everything I preach outside of the book, but letter writing is a big part of darling. Um, and I'll leave that part of the book as a bit of a mystery so people do need to read it to discover that but i think i i'll sort of explain it like this is there's a there's a really unique parable that's also in the novel that i really love and i discovered while i was writing darling you're not alone uh which is if you take three bricklayers and you ask them hey what are you doing the first bricklayer says i'm i'm laying bricks the second bricklayer says i'm building a house and the third bricklayer says i'm creating the the church of god and the first bricklayer has a job the second bricklayer has a career and then the third bricklayer has a calling and i think and and i don't really ever think of myself as a writer i think of myself more as someone who is trying to leave people with something that can hopefully help make their lives a little bit better or a little bit uh, give a little bit more light to their lives. 
And the best fiction I've ever read tends to do that to me. Um, I mean, gosh, I could go through a laundry list of books that have left me wanting to change who I am as a person and maybe do something a little bit differently. And um, I say all this to hopefully explain that with Darling, You're Not Alone, I want people to be engrossed in the story. I want them to take the time to dive in and get to know these characters and get to know the town of Darling, Colorado. But ultimately, I think it's important to have an element to the story that they can take beyond uh, this book. Um, and I think that the letter writing campaign is something that I want to challenge people that read this book to say, hey, go ahead and write a letter to your mom who you haven't spoken to in a bit or your brother or that you know friend you had that you lost touch with because it really doesn't take too much effort, but you'll be happy you did it. And the really beautiful thing is if you do that, then maybe you could then inspire someone else to do that same thing, to then write their letter. Um, and yeah, I've enjoyed sort of thinking about how, how the best way to get this movement started is, but, um, you know, cause it's something I think that too can be live beyond this novel. Um, I don't think that everyone that reads this book has to be the, the people that are involved in this letter writing campaign. It's something that can hopefully, uh, inspire others. And so we're calling it, you're not alone with the idea that, um, each letter will start with that phrase, you're not alone. And then people can go ahead and write whatever it is that they want to fill in the blanks after that. Uh, and hopefully just let as many people know that they're not alone as possible. Sounds like a book that you could write a screenplay for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that process has absolutely already begun. Um, we have, uh, you know, I imagine the way the story is written is it's like a mini series. Um, type thing, which I think would be fantastic. Uh, I think it's also something that you can take out of the world of Darling and actually apply to other stories. Um, it's not something that's something that's so beholden to one town or one place. Like I sort of did a good, I, you know, I attempted to sort of write this story in a way that, Hey, this could be anywhere. This could be any place. Uh, we all sort of have this magic in us, but yeah, adapting it into a screenplay is certainly in the works. Um, I'm excited for that day to come. I think it's going to be in a, a hopefully very inspiring story. Um, and yeah, anytime you can see your book get to the screen is a really cool thing. And uh, I had some opportunities with that with my first novel as well. And that's sort of how I got my foot into the Hollywood world. Um, and it was fun. It, screenwriting is a much more collaborative process. Uh, and novel writing, I think, is a little more isolated. So I enjoy getting to work with others and talk about that sort of thing. So when I write books, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, I'm always thinking of, of another book. I don't know if you do that. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't I forget the author's name who told me this, but I had a really great uh, kind of couple of people that came along and were mentoring me through my first book. And I believe one of them said something to me like, when you're writing the first one, it's all you can think about nonstop. Constantly, you're thinking about your first book and getting it across that finish line. But once you write the second, suddenly you just open up your world to all these like other ideas and other books. And yeah, that certainly happened. Certainly happened to me while I was writing Darling, You're Not Alone. I uh, I probably had about four or five different book ideas throughout this time, because it did take me three years to write Darling. Um, 
which I think is a significant amount of time given that it's, you know, about a 300 page novel, but I uh, have a book that I write like a small booklet that I keep just all my book ideas inside of. Uh, and I keep it with me at all times. So every time I do kind of strike and have one, I just quickly sort of jot it in there as fast as possible. And then also try to just never think about it again until it's time. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is endless. Like you said, I mean, I, I'm always thinking of like new stories and new ideas in that way. Tell my audience where they can get both your books and where we could follow you and keep up with all that you're doing. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, I hope everyone who uh, listens decides to check out the book. Um, it comes out on November 3rd and it will be available in Barnes and Noble on Amazon. Uh, you can also find it on my website, jdwritesbooks.com uh, and also on the uh, publishing website, which is summerhousepublishing.co. And then also there's a website just for the book itself, which is called darlingyourenotalone.com, which I know we talked about it, but there's going to be more information on that letter writing campaign uh, and how people can get involved with that and uh, upload their own letters and all be sort of interacting with people um, in that way as well. And then you can also follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at JD underscore Slackert, which is spelled S-L-A-J-C-H-E-R-T. And uh, please hit me up if you got questions, if you enjoy the book, if you didn't like the book, whatever it is, I'd love to uh, speak with all of you and uh, hopefully kind of give give some insight into the story and why I wrote it. But JD Slackert, I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more about you. <laughs> So when I want to, when I want another interview, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll I'll be back, John. I mean, I again, I'm happy happy to be here. Happy to uh, have had the chance to speak with you and meet with you. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. We'll definitely stay in touch. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is another episode of Up Next. I'm John Contretti. Have a great day. <laughs>